0: Hello, and welcome to another teaching by 119 Ministries. Our ministry teaches that the whole Bible is still true and directly relevant in our lives. If you would like to know more on what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. According to the world's standards, you may very well be higher than someone else. Maybe you are better than someone else in this area or that. Maybe you have more talent or education. Maybe you make more money or drive a nicer car or even live in a nicer home. But even in these, we are not supposed to look down on someone with the attitude that we are better than they are. Consider Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Also, consider 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. What attitude is that? The attitude of a servant. Attitude is everything. I took this picture at Scott Air Force Base just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. My dad used to work in McDonnell Douglas. They used to make the F-15 and F-18 fighters. So I loved anything to do with planes growing up. And I once heard that your altitude in life is determined by your attitude in life. Meaning what? Have a good attitude and you can make it in the worst of conditions. But the attitude we are to have is that of a humble servant. That's how we truly fly high in Yahweh. Consider James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. What's the opposite of that? If you exalt yourself, He will humble you. Compare Luke chapter 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Doesn't get much simpler than that, does it? What is the opposite of humility? It's pride. We don't deserve a thing. We are just servants. We are just muddling our way and trying to pursue the best we know how. We all have so much to learn. I've mentioned quite often how I scratch my head all the time over certain verses. Who do we think we are? Moses, who spoke with Yahweh, wrote the law, and divided the Red Sea didn't enter the Promised Land because of one mistake. (laughs) So who do we think we are? Consider this regarding Moses. Numbers chapter 12. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. If you want to get closer to the Father, humble yourself. Don't exalt yourself. It's all about keeping ourselves in perspective. Satan was all about pride. Consider Isaiah chapter 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I, 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 I. I. It was all about him. Five times he said the word I. What's the number of grace? It's five. How many books are given to us by Moses that are most often referred to as the Torah? Five. So, for every book given by Yahweh to show us his way, Satan rebelled and said I, meaning he will do it his way. Satan said I will. Yeshua gave us His example by saying, Thy will be done. There is something in us that wants everything to be about us. Not too long ago, I fell off the back of our little truck at the beach. I was simply trying to push our cooler farther into the back of the truck. As I did, my feet slipped off the bumper and I began to fall. At that moment, life went into slow motion. As I was falling, I was actually thinking, well, this is going to make me look really good. I really wish I could say that I fell gracefully, but I didn't. It was clumsy as clumsy could be, and it actually did hurt. Once on the ground, I obviously looked around to see if anyone saw me fall. Thankfully, no one around saw, except my friend who went with us. He walked over to me and said, so tell me, Do you feel as stupid as you looked? I'd like to share a story about an individual who focused on the eye of life. His story is found in the scriptures, specifically in 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's now go and finish out with the original recording of this message. I know it can take time. If you want to take it on your notes, 2 Kings chapter 5. You know the story. You know it quite well, I'm sure. It goes like this. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him Yahweh had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. He had leprosy. Valiant warrior. This guy could do anything you could think of. He was that good. A valiant warrior. But he had leprosy. So let's fill in some void here. So you know this. He has a servant. who happens to be a Hebrew. Young girl says, hey, you know what? If you go over this prophet over here, you'll be healed. So, hey, he goes to his master. Hey, look, can I go over there to Israel? And then he goes, sure. Hey, you know what? Go ahead and take this, all these clothes. Take these donkeys. Take this, that, and the other. Give them there. And then hopefully it all works out good for you. Tell me how it goes. So he goes there. He goes to the king of Israel. The king of Israel goes, look out there. And he gets all upset. He goes, I'm not. God, I can't heal this man. And so Elijah, he hears about it. He goes, hey, man, don't worry about it. Stream my way. That's Steve's version of yours, okay? He goes, bring him over here. I'll take care of him." okay? So let's pick up from there in the story. Now, verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him um, to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Okay, check this out. Naaman makes this journey to go see this guy. Brings all this stuff with him. And he never even comes out of the door to say, hey, how you doing? He sends a messenger, go tell him to do this, and he'll be clean. Okay, just make sure you understand the context. Next verse. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of Yahweh his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. I, I thought. Next, verse 12. Are not at Abana and Farber, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Why? Because it didn't happen the way he wanted it. The way he foresaw because why he's the special guy so this prophet should come out and look at him and say oh you're a special guy I should do it this way for you shouldn't I? That's what he was wanting. That's what he expected because it was all about the I. Now next. Are you with me so far? Verse 13 Naaman's servants went to him and said my father if the prophet had told you to do some great thing would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Seven ducks in a muddy river was all it needed that's it now I don't believe he went down one time came up let's just pretend the leprosy was here we don't know where it was at let's just say it was on his hand here he went down once still there well of course what was the the command to do? seven times I think it wasn't until he got fully underneath and fully out on the seventh one then it was gone that's when The full obedience had to be given out. Had to be walked out. Now, he wanted it his way. He wanted Yahweh's blessings his way. I'll do this and I'll do that. I'll I'll give you this, I'll give you that. But I won't do that. How many of us have ever thought that? The Father's telling you, He presents a situation in front of you. You know you have to do something. Or... At least an opportunity for something to be done and he's saying look just go do it just go do it father I'll do this I'll do that I'll even go that far but I'm not going that far I not going that far I it's funny because you could almost hear Naaman's servant say really You'll go out and kill and defeat all these armies for this and you'll go out and do this, but you won't do this. It was almost like a slap in the face by a servant. You know what I'm saying? It was really, I mean like, dude, come on, man. You're this great guy. I mean, how hard is this? But sometimes, if your pride is in the way, oh, baby, is it hard? Pride is a very strong force. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, pride is a very strong force. Consider First Samuel fifteen twenty-three: For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he has rejected you as king. Wow! Now he's talking to King Saul here. This is Samuel, but that's huge. In the eyes of the Father, rebellion is the same. I'm talking equal, same platform. I'm talking everything's equal as divination. Think about that for a minute. Let's just say the Father tells you to do this. And you go, Well, oh, I'm sorry, no Yahweh, I don't want to do it. You know, um, I'm just going to go over here a little bit. You know, and I, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'll do this, this, and this. I'm just going to do that. Your attitude can be clean. Your attitude can be, you know, not harsh. No, God, I'm going to do that. Good attitude. Doesn't have to be a bad attitude. But he's telling you to do this. Now, if you don't do that, what is that still? It's rebellion. You can have the clean, oh, we put all the flowers around you. Oh, I'm sorry, Yahweh. I'm not going to do it today, okay? It's still disobedience. That rebellion, the father equates to an individual who's over here with a crystal ball trying to conjure up an evil spirit. Wow. Put it in perspective just for a second. It doesn't equate to us because it can't be. But again, remember, one side or the other. You're for me. You're against me. You're gathering or you're spreading. One or the other. You're either going to do what he says or it's going to be about I. Because remember, he wants you to do this. I'm not going to do it. Same thing Satan said. I am will be focused I will be the one I'll do what I want now I encourage all of you though to read this whole chapter in 1st Samuel chapter 15 and, and really get the get the whole element there because in this um, verses 1 through 3 is where the command gives is given by Yahweh to destroy all of the Amalekites everything everything all the people everything of the Amalekites are to be destroyed verse 7 through 9 is where we find Saul spared the king and he gave the best of the sheep and cattle. He saved them. The best of the sheep and the cattle he spared. Okay, now with that let's read verse 13. When Samuel reached Saul, reached him, Saul said, Yahweh bless you, I have carried out Yahweh's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Verses 1 through 3 the instructions was destroy All Amalekites, everything they own, wipe them out. Then, 7-9, through a little farther down, here we have Samuel coming. In verse 13, Samuel comes. And he goes, hey, how's it going? It's going great, man. We had a good war. It is going good. And he says, and I obeyed God on everything. And then Samuel says, what? Well, then how come I'm hearing... Yeah. And the ooh. What did Samuel do? Did he obey? No. no. No, no he didn't. No. because I believe this is important, I want to go a little farther. Continuing, Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to Yahweh your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Next. Stop! Samuel. Samuel said to Saul. And it's an estimation point. I mean, he probably yelled at the top of his voice. This is a prophet of God. He said, stop! Let me tell you what Yahweh said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your eyes, meaning what? You were once humble. Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? Yahweh anointed you king over Israel. You were once small in your eyes. Meaning what? At one time your heart was there. You had a humble heart. You were doing good. You, you considered Though you stood ahead above everyone, your heart was below everyone. You knew what it meant to be there as a servant. You were there at one time. In other words, what's happened to you, Saul? Saul replied how he did obey. Pushing the guests, we know that he didn't. But he's trying to do what? Look at all these things I did. We can make sacrifices now. In other words, he's trying to do a diversion. Look at all these good things we can do. All because of what I did for us. We can do all this for Yahweh. I did this, I did that, and now we can give it to Yahweh. Samuel then said, Does Yahweh delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. How often do we point others to what we did for Yahweh? Oh, when we know what we didn't do for him. Continuing. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. Now here we're full circle. And arrogance Like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh. He has rejected you as king. Again, for rebellion is like the sin of divination. It's interesting. Check this out. As I was praying about this, this this blew me away. It's interesting uh, in this because it's not too much later that we find Saul. What's he do? He goes to one who does divination to bring Saul back. So what's the difference? The rejection? And going to the witch, if you will. In the we were, Oh, that's bad. Oh, man, I can't believe he did that. In the eyes of Yahweh, <laughs> we're the same thing. And it's, it amazes me how we, we think of this. How, how how can he steep so low? How can he steep so low? And Yahweh's saying, how can you steep so low? I'm telling you what to do. Are you following me? Yeah, it's easy. Isn't it funny how we, we categorize sin? You know, oh, this is... Oh, 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 that's really bad. When the eyes of Yahweh. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Now, pride is a deadly sin. This is a picture of my rooster. And now he's not with us anymore. <laughs> Well, and and actually, let me me backtrack here, because it's not because he was dinner one night. Um, Yeah, yeah, he, um, Junior actually got the best of him one day, you know, yeah, and Junior was actually a bigger, bigger kind of guy, and so, uh, eventually, Daddy had to take the second seat, and he wasn't willing to take the second seat, and so Junior says, oh, well, let's do it out, and it was kind of a bummer, I really liked him. He was actually kind of young, There's was a young picture of him there, but anyway. I say all that because of this. It's Junior who has an attitude. He has an attitude with mama, with daddy, and a few times with the children. I'll take an attitude from a rooster for me. For the future, and, and it's so funny. <laughs> Here I was, I went up to get some eggs and stuff, and the, the chickens were producing a whole lot of the tons, this one or two or three or four, I can't remember what we had in there. But as I was getting the, the eggs, I kind of heard this, I'm going, what's your problem? You know, I looked over and he's actually, he's doing this, you know? I thought he was trying to tap in. I don't know. You know, I'm, a, I'm a city slicker trying to be a country boy, okay? And so, I am really am going, what's, is he dancing? What's he doing? And then all of a sudden, I go, I, I, get out of here, you know? I just kind of shush him away, you know? And I keep, I'm getting a few more things, and all of a sudden, he's doing it again. And he look closer to me, I'm going, wait a minute, he's challenging me.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, man. Homie, don't play that. I mean, I walked over to him, I started trying to kick him, and then he starts running. I go, oh, you're getting away. And I literally chased him. I'm not exaggerating. I chased him for three minutes. I was dead dog tired, and I was done. But I was not going to let him think he could do that to me. This is my groom. Wait, get out of here. Now, that's a true story. Don't you? And Angie's told me several times it's happened to her, and she's like, Got it, rock, flip him, you know, do that to me, you know. But, Here's the thing. I was telling a friend of mine about that, and he goes, "Oh, Steve, that ain't nothing." I go, "Really?" He goes, "Oh, I had some chickens back in when he lived in I forget where it was at in Midwest Illinois and, or something like that." And, and he goes, "I had one of my chick my, my roosters literally attacked me." He goes, "Oh, I, I was bloodied up on the sh- on the heel." I go, "You kidding?" He goes, "Oh, no." He goes, "I invited him for dinner that night." Oh yeah. <laughs> I go, there you and he did. He really did. He, was, but he grabbed him by the neck right then and it was done. He, he said, I put all my chores on pause for the next 15 minutes and I can't do my good. Yeah. And that's the way it should be, you know what I'm saying? Now, here's the thing pride can keep you from doing that which the Father desires you to do. Naaman wouldn't take seven ducks in a muddy river. All because of pride. All because of pride. He didn't want to get, why can't I go on this clean water over here? It's better. You know what I mean? Seven ducks in a muddy river. That's all it needed. That's all he had to do. Is to humble himself and do that. Pride can keep us from so many blessings. But even through obedience, even though, I'm sure I say even though obedience does indeed bring blessings, please know, we are not to focus on the blessings. We don't obey Yahweh so we can be blessed. I I pray that. I pray I never do. You know, we obey to show our love back to Him. That's what we do. The blessings are just a byproduct of that relationship. Are you with me? Now, what's your focus? What is your focus on life? Is it on the blessings? What you're going to get? Or is it on loving him back? Is it on loving him back? You know, we can serve him. We serve him because he is worthy. We serve him because he's holy. We love him because why? He first loved us. Why do you serve him? Does the Father want us Does he want to bless us? Absolutely he wants to bless us. He longs to bless us. But is your focus to please the Father or is your focus to get the blessings from the Father? If I tell my son or any of my children, hey, you know, I want you to do this, this, and this, and if you do that, you know, hey, we'll do this and the other. If they do something only in obedience to me to get a blessing only and there's not a love for me, you know, and, and it, that hurts but to a degree expected from children right? however if that child does it with me never even having to ask I'll give you four or five times come on let's go that love just reaches out of your heart and just wraps around that child and goes mm, I love you why? because they didn't didn't even have to tell them didn't even have to, why did they do it? because they loved you they want to please you they know that you're dead. Now, like the law of gravity, I believe that obeying the law, the law of Yahweh, naturally produces blessing. I really do. Just like you throw something up, it's going to come back down. You obey the Father, blessings will naturally fall. It's going to come on you. It's like the, it's just a, a general law of gravity, if you will. However, the blessings are to be the byproduct. Right Again. Make sure they are not your goal. Consider. First Thessalonians chapter 2. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. Trying to please God. Continuing. 1 John chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. Do we love him? Which means to obey his commandments. Because he first loved us. Consider also Luke 17, 7. I love this. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Continuing, verse 9. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We have only done our duty. It's the focus, it's the motive that the Father desires to be correct in our hearts. Amen? Check this out. This is a true story. I was working at an electric company, and my boss was with me, and we were, we had some time to talk. And he was wanting to talk about it, it was school. Let's talk. And he said, "You know, Steve, I I respect what you're doing, but I got to tell you, I I'm an atheist." I said, I respect that. I disagree with you. You know, I said, "But hey, it's okay." And so, and I, I kind of. But he brought the conversation up. So I'm thinking, you know, he's an atheist, but you know, and so I'm just wondering where he's going to go with it. And he goes, you know, I've been in church all my life. I'm going, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that means, well. So he said, you know, my mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, uncle, I've been up to all of it. And he began telling me his childhood story. He goes, Steve, Sunday morning church, you know, Sunday school and stuff. I was up there. All the memory verses, I knew them all. And you know what? He started quoting scripture to me. I mean, I'm going, ooh, I'm in for a fight today. (laughs) And I mean, he he wasn't missing a beat. He was hitting her. And I'll say he he probably quoted at least three or four, at least right there to me. And I'm going, wow, that's pretty good. He goes, yeah. He goes, every Sunday morning. They said, whoever can do this, and such and such and such. We'll give you this piece of candy. We'll give you this candy. He goes, I was focused on the candy. That's all I wanted. So yet, whenever I did it for them, they gave me this candy. This. Oh, all these people should be like the run over here. He's he's doing all this. And he goes, I didn't care a thing about one thing that was saying. I wanted the candy. Every day, that's all I wanted. And here we are today. Here's this guy walking a life that is so far removed from the Father. A great guy. A great guy. I mean, really. <laughs> He's a great guy. But he wants nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with it. All because the focus was where? On him. What I can get out of the situation. He he, he went through all of that and I'm going, man, how sad is that. My question is, for all of us, are we serving to get or are we serving to love? What example did Yeshua give us to follow? Now check this out. Did you know that only one time, I mean the only time, Yeshua said He was actually setting an example to His disciples was when He was washing their feet. The only time He says, follow my example, is when He's washing their feet. Check it out. John 13, 15. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He had just got done washing all their feet. Here is the king of kings washing their feet. Now to us, well that's not the big idea. We, if, those who know the Hebrew culture, the servants wash the feet. And you are like considered what? The servant, your are He made himself so low that we can't go any lower. We have, if we're going to make ourselves low, we have got to be like that and following his example. Are you with me? No. If you want to become great in the kingdom, become a nobody. If you want to become great in the kingdom, become a nobody. Serve. Don't care who gets the credit. Be there to help and assist and don't seek your name for anything or position for anything. Serve. Serve. That's what Yeshua did. He served. He served. He served. He served. Matthew 23:11. The greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest will be the servant. If one doesn't serve, then they aren't a the servant. If one makes conditions for their servanthood, are they a servant? Think about it. If one makes conditions for their servanthood, are they a servant? So when the Father says, do this, this, and this, and you go, I'll do that, that, and that's it. You're making conditions for your servanthood. We make, and and we've all been guilty of at a time or another. Self-denial. I love this. It's so simple. And you you probably, I don't know where I even heard it. Self-denial is a mandate for discipleship. Self-denial is a mandate for discipleship. Are you a disciple of Christ? Self-denial is a mandate. Take up your cross daily. Follow Him. Die. Oh, tomorrow. Oh, yeah. You've got to die then, too. <laughs> next week? Yeah, you got to die. Yeah, I know. Oh, next year? Yeah, you got to die then, too. Yeah, I know. But it's cool. Because when you give up yourself, guess who you get? You get him. Remember yesterday? He must become greater. We must become less. And when we get rid of ourselves, we get to see him come out of us. Oh, man. I can't wait for him to return. I got so much to learn. You know what I'm saying? we I just... I'm getting excited, thinking we're all going to eventually really get to look like Him one day. You know, and how we act, and how we talk, and it's everything. I just, that's my goal, that's my desire, my prayer. Now, seven ducks in a muddy river. Funny name, huh? But what is the Father telling you to do that maybe, maybe you're refusing? Pride can keep us away from so many blessings in our life. Pride can keep us away from so much. Luke 9.23 Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny. Deny the I. Now, I. What is in the middle of sin? I. then not get any simpler than that, huh? Satan said I five times. I will. What are you saying? Are you saying I will or thy will? Again, our text tonight was simply, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with what the measure of faith God has given you. What is your seven ducks in a mighty river? I want you to think right now. What is your seven ducks in the muddy river that the Father is saying you need to do? You do this, here we go. And keep this in mind. I want to say this. Maybe you're going through maybe you're not going through something of this nature right now. Maybe next week, next month, next year you might. But please know that not long after that, you're going to have another seven ducks you're going to have to deal with. And then the next year, I'm sure somewhere along the way, if you're growing the way we should be, there'll be another seven ducks that we have got to deal with. Are you with me? Yeah. So it's a growth. But right now, examine your heart. Is there something the Father is wanting you to do? Maybe it's a test. Maybe you're waiting for the Father to come out and wave his hand and just take this miracle away from you. Hallelujah. Woo. I can't wait for this God's gonna take care of this for me. I know he is. And he's going, I'm just waiting for you to take seven ducks in the mighty river. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gonna deliver me from this. I know it's gonna be great. I can't wait. I'm just waiting for you to take your seven ducks. We all have been there. We all want something fabulous. We all want something miraculous to happen in our life, and he's going, I'm just waiting for you to obey. I'm just waiting for you to just take them seven ducks. Are you with me? We all have got seven dogs at one point or another we got to deal with. And don't shoot him, okay? <laughs> Taking sure you're awake. No. you know, we can be waiting for a miracle and He's waiting for you to get dirty. We can be waiting for that thing and we were just praying to happen and He's just waiting for you to get dirty. Now, do you want to get closer to the Father? Like Moses? Of course we do. We all do. Then start ducking. He's calling us all to do something. Just do it. And remember, whether you are way up here or way down here, we all need. We all need. Don't think you're above something. Because if you do, we will say, oh, really? And they'll bring something in your life, and go. Oh, maybe I wasn't. <laughs> you know. You know. Um, this is on a complete side note. I once heard a teacher talking, and they said, if you are lifting a, a man up on a pedestal, and you're looking up to that man, the f- he, the father can very easily and most likely will make that man fall because of you looking up to him so i'm telling you now don't look up to me <laughs> please no really please <laughs> now all of us at one point in our life have seven ducks to deal with i asked tonight as we go our separate ways here in just a few minutes, that seriously, you know, and, and, and you may not be going through a seven-duck situation right now, but write it down. Write some, you know, what are my seven ducks and put them in the refrigerator. Someday, you might come against that situation and go, oh, I found my seven ducks. And you know what to do. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you, we praise you, and I am so thankful for your word. And Father, I am so thankful for these people here tonight. Your family that I get to be a part of. I thank you, Father, that we can learn from one another. We can talk to one another. rub shoulders with one another. Get different perspectives from one another. Man, Father, I I've, I said it earlier and I really meant it. I can't wait for you to return. and Man, things are going to be so cool then. But right now, Father, here we are. We're here right now. And we're all striving. We're struggling. to to fight the flesh. And we all know that there's lots of times where we conquer. There's lots of times when, well, we don't conquer so good. And Father, we need you. We need you to work in our life to never take light of a situation, to never think that, you know, you're not talking to us because you are. You present these situations in us so that we can learn and grow. Help us, Father, to grow. And be healed and be clean and move farther and farther closer to you. Getting more and more right next to you. That's our desire. Again, Father, I am so thankful for all of us here. And Father, I pray that you will bless every single person in this room. That you will speak to them even tonight and tomorrow tomorrow. And you, after this, the code is done, Father, you will continue speaking to them. Give them a heart and a hunger to hear your word like never before, to hear your voice like never, ever before, with a passion to continue striving in you. That's what we desire. We thank you for all that you're doing in us. We pray, Father, that again, we don't walk out these doors the same way we came in. Help us, Father, to take this message, your word, not my, not things that come from Steve, but things that came from you, All of it from you. We pray, Father, that we become doers of your word. And not just hearers only. In Yeshua's name we ask. And every single one agree by saying, Amen. And Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you all.
1: archaeology has a new and fascinating reason to celebrate. Jim Barfield, an award-winning criminal investigator and expert on the Copper Scroll, has new evidence regarding the possible location of the Ark of the Covenant. This new evidence has many excited and calling for action. In 2006, Jim Barfield unlocked the secrets to the Copper Scroll, which was found in 1952. All indications showed Jim's findings to be the location for the most sought after treasures in all of biblical history. Within three years, the Israeli Antiquities Authority began excavating. Israel's primary newspaper reported how the Israeli Antiquities Authority did the 2009 excavation based on the research from the Copper Scroll Project, but came up with nothing. The report then went out that nothing was found in the suggested locations from the research. While it's true that the excavation did indeed take place and nothing was found, the reports failed to mention that the dig was abruptly stopped for no apparent reason. The original technical agreements for that excavation were abruptly changed during the initial phase of the operation. The agreement allowed for an excavation depth of two meters. That's approximately six and a half feet deep. Before that depth could be reached, it was then suddenly revised to less than one meter In some places, they were only allowed to dig less than one foot. Yes, only one foot. Yet, most locations identified on the Copper Scroll say the artifacts buried are at a depth of seven cubits. That's approximately 12 feet. If that wasn't enough, the agreement initially allowed for the approval of five locations to be excavated. That approval was quickly cut back to only three at the beginning of the dig. No one, except for the authorities, knows why these abrupt changes happened. Regardless, the reports went out that the findings from the Copper Scroll Project produced no discoveries. But needless to say, Jim Barfield's claims were truly never put to a fair test. The initial agreements granted were changed and revised, causing Barfield's claims to be ignored and not fully tested, thus leaving the possible find of the temple treasures still buried. Interestingly enough, in 2013, Qumran was quarantined from having any further excavations. Could it be that someone knows that the Copper Scroll Project is onto something? An Israeli archeologist confirmed these thoughts by saying, they, the authorities, are afraid that you are going to find something and you will want to excavate. They were correct. A proper excavation is truly the only way to test the research. 119 Ministries is excited to join Jim Barfield and the Copper Scroll Project team in this earth-shaking announcement that will surely resonate around the world. After years of research, now joined with recent test results that confirm precious metals appear in the locations from the research, we can say the evidence for this find is now even greater than ever thought imagined. It's time to discover the resting place of the Ark of the Covenant, the Tabernacle of Moses, and the treasures of Solomon. These items could very soon be discovered from the Judean desert. Yes, you heard that correctly. The resting place of the Ark of the Covenant, the original tent of meeting, and so much more may have truly been found. Since the disappearance of these items from the biblical narrative, there have been numerous claims about their location. Some actually claim to have possession of the Ark of the Covenant, but offer no proof. All the while, several other places have been suggested for their location as well. While the theories to these locations may sound possible and even intriguing, they've offered no proof or any kind of evidence to work with. They are only theories or empty-handed stories with no verifiable evidence. These places include Ethiopia, South Africa, Europe, Ireland, and even a cave under Golgotha where Yeshua was crucified. Some even suggest under the Temple Mount. The many years of research and recent validity of test results conducted by the Copper Scroll Project begs, this is the time. It's time for all questions to be answered and the ark to be unearthed from its 2,600 years of confinement. It's taken years of meetings to show the findings to prominent antiquities officials and leading rabbis in Israel. Though initially confronted with doubt and skepticism, Jim's 296-page report quickly disarmed any misconceptions while stirring a powerful undercurrent of excitement with those in attendance. Many Israeli officials are realizing the value of this research and agreeing that the findings have serious possibilities. Those confirming the possibilities of the Copper Scroll Project research over the last seven years have been Shuka Dorfman, the Director General for the Israel Antiquities Authority, the late Yuval Peleg the Archaeology Department of the Civil Administration Deputy Staff Officer and Lead Archaeologist for the Copper Scroll Excavation in 2009. Dr. Oren Gutfeld, Hebrew University Archaeologist. Vindal Jones, Archaeologist. Joseph Good, Temple Researcher. Dr. Carl Baugh, Director of Creation Evidence Museum of Texas. Multiple members of the current Sanhedrin based in Israel. The late Professor Hanan Eshel, Dead Sea Scroll expert and archaeologist. Rabbi and archaeologist Yehuda Glick has also been in touch with Jim Barfield. He has offered support and has proposed a joint effort to rally support for both teams' archaeological excavations. Unfortunately, Rabbi Glick was recently the victim of a Palestinian murder attempt. We, with many others around the world, pray for Rabbi Glick's speedy and full recovery. The strongest support for the Copper Scroll Project comes from Israeli's Deputy Speaker of the Knesset, Moshe Fagland. The outspoken Knesset member is excited by the research compiled by Jim Barfield. Mr. Fageland also realizes the possibilities and the impact that such a discovery could have on the world, including the God-given right of Israel to rule its small but powerful nation without external interference. The Copper Scroll Project strongly believes in Moshe Faglan and supports him and his efforts to restore Israeli's identity and worship on the Temple Mount. All this support comes from the evidence that simply has its roots in history. 2 Maccabees, written around 100 B.C., is an ancient text. This text states that the prophet Jeremiah, being warned by God before the Babylonian invasion, took the ark, the tabernacle, and the altar of incense and buried them in a cave en route to Mount Nebo. In this text, Jeremiah informs his followers that this location should remain unknown until the time of the coming Messiah. Are these the times of the coming Messiah that Jeremiah referred to? All indications have shown that Jim and the project have found the exact location from the clues given in the Copper Scroll. After pinpointing the location of the cave, the project team actually found man-made concrete that is dated as thousands of years old at the top of the entrance of the buried cave. The concrete may verify that the remote cave is truly sealed to protect something inside. This find of the man-made concrete further validates the possibility that location given by the scroll is correct. Tests recently done at the cave indicate the probability that large amounts of non-ferrous metals are waiting inside. These tests were also done at several locations in the ruins of Qumran, locations identified by the Copper Scroll Project research. Three other locations tested showed large amounts of gold and silver possibly remaining under these locations, just like the cave. Again, validating the findings from Jim Barfield's research. Ten of the recorded hiding locations listed on the scroll for the temple items have been verified. There are a total of 47 more locations at Qumran that still need to be tested to see if excavation is needed. With all the data the Copper Scroll Project has discovered, The probability of this find is higher than any other claim ever given regarding the location of the Ark of the Covenant. No other claim is backed by this much data and test results. This is why the site needs to be properly excavated with no delay. The Copper Scroll Project is alive and well and moving forward at a rapid pace. Please join us in petitioning Israel to properly excavate these sites and possibly uncover the greatest archeological find ever in the history of mankind. Again, please join us in petitioning Israel to properly excavate these sites with no more delay. Contact the Israeli government today and encourage them to pursue the proper excavation of these sites now. We are not talking about digging up history. We are talking about digging up history and the future at the same time.